My name's Joe Ray Hunter. I've had the pleasure of serving on the prayer team and the kids' ministry team. Today's scripture passage is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18 from the NIV. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray for your God who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is God's word. Thanks, Joe Ray. Once again, good morning, friends. As Dom said, we, beginning today and through the end of the summer, we are going to explore and unpack some of the most familiar words in the English language known as the Lord's Prayer, but also asking, do we really understand it, what it says, what it is for? Beginning today, I'd like to to give an overview regarding prayer, and then we're going to look specifically at the first line, and each week we'll look at a specific line and conclude this series by looking at three parables from Jesus on prayer. We hope that it will be encouraging and transforming for us all. And let's begin by doing just that. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. You've even taught us how to speak with you. I pray that as we begin this journey through what you have taught us through your son on prayer, that our understanding of you would grow, that our understanding of ourselves would grow, that our understanding of how we are to live in this world would transform. If there's anyone here today that does not yet know you, I pray that they would understand who you are, what you are like, and all that you've done for them in Jesus. I pray that you'd speak to us all, God. We ask that in 
his name. And everyone said, amen. What is prayer? It's an important question because not everyone agrees. Is prayer meditation? Chanting? Reflection mixed with Pilates? Like what exactly is prayer? If you ask your friends or your neighbors, you might be surprised by the answer they give. What I find interesting is there is not one part of the globe, not one single culture that doesn't have some kind of category for prayer. There are people across the globe who recognize this need for transcendence, this need to communicate between the human and the divine. Which is interesting to me in our Western, particularly North American context, because it means that despite the information, despite the entertainment, the resources, the relationships that we have, we are still starving spiritual creatures. There continues to be this fascination with this thing called prayer. The Bible, when we have a look at what it says, we discover very quickly that the connection and fullness that we're all longing for only comes in a relationship with a true and living God. Prayer is the language of this relationship. Prayer is a conversational response to a God who has revealed himself. But more personally, what do you think of when you think of prayer? Before I was a Christian, I was afraid of prayer because prayer meant that I had to deal with God. And in that stage of my life, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. In fact, I spent a lot of my time running away from God. And when people would talk to me about this issue of prayer, I'd be like, ugh. Because I knew that if I came to God, I also had to deal with what was going on in my life. I had to deal with what was going on in, in my heart. In my young adult years, I was afraid of prayer. But then I changed. I was invited by a very annoying Christian girl to a very cheesy Christian event in the San Francisco Bay Area. An event which meant I had to drive two and a half hours from the North San Francisco Bay, i.e. the better part of the Bay, all the way down to the South Bay of San Jose. Apologies for anyone from San Jose, but if you're from where I'm from, you don't go there. But I was desperate. I didn't know it at the time, but God was working on my heart. And so I went to this Christian event, and it was so cheesy. I mean, we're talking like t-shirt cannons, like it's amazing that people got saved. But I was one of those people. Because despite the event itself, the gospel was preached, and I was transformed. I was so excited that day that I gave my life to Jesus that even though I wasn't prepared for it, I decided to stay the night in the church in San Jose. I was like, I'm a Christian. This is holy ground. I should stay here. And so I asked the church if I could stay. You know, I just felt like this is a holy thing. And so I slept in the gym and 
I remember waking up. They did let me borrow a sleeping bag in case you were worried about me. And the first thing I did when I woke up was that thing that I dreaded for so many of my younger years. I prayed. And I was thrilled. I remember to this day waking up being like, God, I can talk to you. I was delighted. The God that I ran away from was now the God that I could talk to. But then as my Christian life went on, life gets hard. The honeymoon phase, as they say, was over. And then I began to, you know, go into ministry and and things began to get tough. And so as a growing Christian, I struggled in prayer. I found myself getting cynical in prayer. Some of the things that I had asked for previously weren't answered. I found myself often distracted or disconnected when I would try to pray. All of us in this room perhaps represent a range of thoughts and feelings when it comes to the topic of prayer. For some of you, prayer might be a pleasure. For others, prayer might be a problem. I think it's important to explore why prayer would be a problem. For some, maybe we're afraid of of looking up. Is God real? Is he even there? Does he even listen? This is the question for many. Maybe it's yours. There was a book I read a while back, which is very interesting. It's called Letters from a Skeptic. And they're actually letters written between a son and a father. The son was a new Christian. The father was more or less an atheist. And the book contains their letters back and forth about God. And this is what the father said on one occasion to his son. Here's another aspect of religion I've never understood. Prayer. If God is personally interested in us, as you say, we presumably can talk to him. But does he listen? I don't think so. That statement captures the thoughts and feelings of many. Is God even there? Does he listen if I speak? But when we come to scripture, it's as clear as day that God not only exists, but that he's gone to great lengths to bring us into a relationship with him. But maybe for some of you, that's exactly the problem. You're like, no, I know God exists and I'm in a relationship with him, but like, what do I do? What do I say? What do I say to God? because he sees everything. So maybe the problem with prayer for some of us is that we have to explore what's really going on in our hearts. We have to explore in the midst of a very busy day and a busy life and a busy week what's really going on under the surface. Maybe for some of us, we struggle in prayer because we fear of what we might discover and face if we have to open up and if we have to be honest. For that reason, some of us don't even like times of solitude alone, not to mention prayer. The famous French mathematician, also philosopher, that's kind of a bonus if you can be both, in the 17th century, Blaise Pascal once said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't go as far as that, but I do think he has a point. Prayer is a problem for some of us because we're afraid of what happens if we go beneath the surface. But what's so incredible about 
this thing called prayer is it's actually the key to us experiencing what we truly need. In fact, if I were to put it in a statement, one that I would like us to remember throughout the course of the series, it's a summary of prayer, and it is simply this. Prayer is the key that unlocks deeper intimacy with God, greater understanding of ourselves, and true power for change. If I were to summarize it, that simply is what prayer is about, and we need all three. A deeper understanding of God. Now, some of you have been Christians for a long time, longer than me for some of you. Maybe you have scripture memorized and you've studied doctrine. So in theory, you are close. But practically, relationally, you might be very distant. There's a book our staff is reading right now on prayer. It's called The Praying Life. It is excellent. And in the intro, there's a section where he talks about, imagine going to a prayer therapist, right? Let's say you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're struggling with prayer, and you go to a prayer therapist. I don't know if they actually exist, but imagine if you went to to one. And the prayer therapist says, hey, great, glad, glad you're joining the prayer therapist. Tell me, what is your relationship with God about? And you are very learned in the scriptures. And so you reply by saying, well, I know that I was a sinner saved by grace. I'm adopted by God. I have access to him and intimacy with him. And they're like, great. You've just described the doctrine of adoption. Now tell me, what's it like to be with your father? Oh, well, I don't know. Sometimes it's a little awkward. I don't really know what to say. I get really distracted in prayer. Sometimes I'm very angry in prayer. In that moment, the prayer therapist might say, see, you have a great understanding of the doctrine, but you're not really relating to him. You have a dysfunctional relationship. But what prayer is about is a deeper understanding of God because prayer moves us from knowing what we believe to experiencing what we believe. I'm not suggesting a change in theology at all whatsoever. Prayer moves us from knowing our theology to experiencing our theology. And that then leads to a greater understanding of ourselves because prayer is a, is a two-way street, a conversation between man and God, creature and creator, between earth and heaven. It's an invitation to know God more deeply and as a result, because he knows everything and his word is like a mirror revealing what is really going on in our own hearts, we then understand ourselves. And that is a powerful thing. Because in prayer, you can't fake it. You can't wear a mask before the God who sees everything. That's why famous Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane, great name, once said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. I find this both convicting and refreshing. It's convicting because you're like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, I can't fake it with God. See, we can all fake it. We can put on the front. 
We can be like, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed, sister, yay! Did you go to the prayer meeting the other night? Oh, yes, loved it. How was that sermon? Eh, mediocre. 5.6 out of 10, if you ask me. But hey, I was there. I tithed. <laughs> but maybe you are far from God. But you can't fake it in prayer. But it's also refreshing. God knows. And yet he still invites me. See, it's prayer that not only reveals our hearts, prayer actually transforms our hearts. And maybe that is why the followers of Jesus, the disciples in the gospels, asked this of Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. My question to you, and one that I'm asking for myself throughout the rest of this summer, is will we ask the same question? Lord, teach me to pray. This is not about playing religious games or faking it. Teach me to pray. Now, we must ask this corporately, but we also must ask this personally and individually. As a church, I think we've tried really hard to kind of foster a culture of corporate prayer. We put a lot of emphasis on that, and rightly we should. But in this series, we're going to focus a lot on private, personal prayer. But to do that, we must be taught. And wonderfully, graciously, Jesus teaches us here in what we call the Lord's Prayer, which might actually be better referred to as the Lord's Model Prayer. No, it is not something that you're to pray mechanically, like you're going to get up every morning, our Father in heaven, hallowed be their name, da 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 and we're done. It's not to be prayed mechanically, it's to be prayed thematically. This prayer, though brief and concise, is surprisingly comprehensive. I like to think of it as like a guardrail, like as, as you're walking up a stairs, it's guiding you in your prayers, or it's like a map guiding you in your prayers with God. It highlights the, the themes that we should be thinking about, aware of, and praying into when we pray. And for that reason, I find it so helpful. Because one of the things that I've found in my own life is that my prayers are often so imbalanced. I remember a season of years when I was pastoring in Los Angeles. Oh, I would pray most mornings. But my prayers were so imbalanced. Basically, I would wake up stressed out. Everyone's like, hey, what was it like pastoring in LA? I'm like, stress. That's what it was like. I would just wake up and I would pray because I was so desperate. But I would usually pray my problems exclusively. I'd wake up and be like, oh Lord, this person's drama. Please deal with them. Oh Lord, I don't know if we're going to have the money to make it. Please deal with that. Oh Lord, I can't believe all these emails. All oh, the emails, Lord. <laughs> Deliver me from the emails. That's in the Lord's prayer, right? They were all petition. And what I realized is there wasn't much praise. There wasn't much praying for my practical needs. And it was in that season when I was st so stressed out and someone was to ask, I, I was meant to write down, I was in this workshop with other pastors and they said, use one word to describe your prayer life. And I was like, gulp. <laughs> and I wrote the word imbalanced. And my friend used that as an opportunity, who is also a pastor, to say, Tim, do you pray through the Lord's Prayer? 
And I was like, well, I don't know, sometimes. Like, no, like really, like, have you ever thought about using the Lord's Prayer as an actual guide for your morning prayer? And if you're like me, you're afraid of kind of anything that seems rote or routine. But what he was talking about is something that has transformed my daily prayer life. So since then, since that challenge, I've taken the Lord's Prayer and all the requests, which if you're like me and you're like ADHD in prayer, the Lord's Prayer is amazing because all the things that float around in my mind and my heart, I think of each line of the Lord's Prayer like a bucket and I put all those requests in those buckets and it slows me down and I can begin to focus on each theme and each priority as found in the Lord's Prayer, which teaches me in a way that I wouldn't learn by myself. Why do I say that? Because church, I'm challenging you over the next seven weeks as we go through the rest of our summer to pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. And as you do, and as we go along together, each Sunday, we will look at a different line from the Lord's Prayer. And today we start with the first. And we learn three simple things by way of introduction. We learn from Jesus how not to pray, secondly, how we ought to pray, and third, why we can pray at all. And Jesus is so practical and he knows us, so he starts with this first lesson of how not to pray. And two things are very clear. One is this, prayer is not a performance. It's interesting that Jesus begins with this before he actually teaches us how to pray. He rebukes the practice of the religious hypocrites of his day in verses five and six. And when you pray, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. By the way, I love that Jesus was saying this publicly when all the Pharisees and the religious leaders were all there in the crowd. It's just funny. He's like, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. And they're like, Is he, did he just... For they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Friends, the lesson here might seem very basic and very obvious, but lest we are too quick to move on from this point, let's be honest. It is a great temptation for us to be driven by performance when it comes to prayer. There are many people who lack a prayer life of their own, personally and individually, that they want to make up for it with a performance publicly. And maybe knowingly or unknowingly, they kind of fuel it with this sense of performance. And they might even feel proud of their praise once they've prayed. Some of us may have been there. You've prayed a prayer and you're like, ooh, that was good. There was scripture quoted in there, little King James, you know, just for some added spice just a hint of the prophetic, like, mm, chef's kiss. That was a good prayer. And as a result, you feel a little proud. Well, in those moments, and I've certainly been there, we're like the Pharisees. There can be this element of performance. For some people, 
It's driven by a sense of, I've got to show up somewhere, maybe to church on a Sunday, and as long as I said my prayers, I've done my performance, and I'm good. And Jesus says, no. Prayer is not about a performance. But there's another correction. Prayer is not a performance. Also, prayer is not a payment. See, in contrast to the religious leaders who were all about a show, the pagans of that day were different. The pagans, those men and women who believed in the Greek and Roman gods, they believed, they weren't so much concerned of putting in a performance for the public, they were concerned about appeasing God. They're like, well, what right do we have to pray? How do we get God's attention? Well, we've got to work really hard as if your prayer itself was some kind of a payment to the gods that in response they would give you their attention. You would prove yourself to them. So Jesus corrects this view and says in verse seven, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they will be heard by their many words. And the encouragement in verse eight, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. See, there's a correction here and an encouragement. I think some of us have more in common with the pagans of Jesus' day than we would like to admit. Because in this view of prayer, God is a reluctant God. His arms are folded. And when you come to him, maybe, just maybe, if you work hard enough, you'll make some kind of a payment and his arms will just begin to pry open. As if God's waiting every morning and he's like, well, I'm gonna set the timer. I'm ready to be impressed. Like it's some kind of prayer shark tank or like the apprentice or something. He's like, let's see what you got. And then you're like, okay, here goes, Lord. Our Father in heaven, see how many times I can pray it. And the angels are like, oh, that was good. Clocked in at like a 9.5. And the Lord's like, eh. I'll hear maybe one of your requests. Let's be honest, friends. Some of us, when, we, when it comes to prayer and we pray to God, we have this view of a reluctant father who's just like bummed out that we bothered him again on Monday morning. Lord, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> Which I hate to admit, as much as I'd love to share stories from the pulpit of what a great father I am, the ones that tend to come to mind are like usually how bad I am. But you know, I would love to say that whenever my kids call me, especially when they're little, like, Dad, you know, that I'm like, yes, darling. <laughs> but on the 27th time, like, I'm done. <laughs> to the point where, and my wife will testify, there's times where my kid's like, Dad, I'm like, no. <laughs> but Dad, no. But you haven't even, the answer's no. <laughs> and sadly, sometimes that's the way we view God. And so we think we've got to make a payment that he's going to be heard through our many words. But Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. And the encouragement is this, your father knows what you have need of even before he asks. God listens. God cares. God knows. Now, some of you might get tripped up on that statement. Wait a minute, if God knows, why pray? If he already knows, well, hey God, well you already know, so I guess we're good, right? Amen? <laughs> Let's call it amen, <laughs> and we're good. <laughs> if he knows, why pray? Well, far from this sentence being discouraging to pray, 
This sentence should encourage you to pray. Think about it. First of all, if God didn't know everything, then he wouldn't really be God. So there's some good news there. Hey, you're God. That's awesome. But in prayer, this is important. We are not briefing God on information he doesn't already have. We are surrendering our needs and our desires that he might shape us and guide us in the process. It is about a relationship. Yes, he knows. That means he's God. But he also cares, and that means he's good. God's infinite knowledge should not prohibit prayer it should actually promote prayer. He doesn't hear us based on our muchness. So first, we're taught how not to pray. Prayer is not a performance to impress God or others, nor is prayer a payment to appease God. It is a path to knowing God. And so Jesus then begins with the Lord's Prayer. And each line is like a a building, each floor builds on another. And the ground floor, the ground zero of prayer, if you will, doesn't address the question of what to pray, but who you are praying to. That leads to the second. Well, how ought I to pray? Well, Jesus begins by telling us that when you pray, pray with intimacy because you are praying to our Father in heaven. What a remarkable thing to say. This must have shocked all of the listeners of Jesus on that day. And here's why. Because in ancient Judaism, when you would pray, you would not address God as Father. That was way too close. Presumptuous, perhaps. God Almighty? Yes. Lord of heaven and earth? Absolutely. But Father? And yet Jesus says in his most famous sermon ever preached, when you pray, begin here. Our Father in heaven. And notice he's not merely allowing us to pray. Like, hey guys, when you pray, well, you know, I, I call him Father. I guess I'll let you guys use the title. Come on in. He's not allowing us to pray, our Father in heaven. He's calling us to pray. He's teaching us to pray, our Father in heaven. Which is a beautiful thing. Because it means in the very first line of prayer, you're like, I'm home. I'm home. Somehow, someway, I belong here. He's my father who is in heaven. He's my provider, my protector. There's both an intimacy and an authority here. But it's also corporate. It's not just my father, it's our father. And so we pray this together. So when you pray, friends, Pray with intimacy. We start there by remembering the one that we are praying to. But there's another lesson in this line. We're not only to pray with intimacy, we're also to pray with awe. Our Father in heaven 
hallowed be your name. Two essential ingredients of Christian prayer. Intimacy and awe. Notice, in contrast to popular ideas and culture on prayer, Jesus does not call us to look for the power within. Notice he doesn't say, our Father who is in us. Higher power who is found within. He doesn't say that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He is not only our Father, he is also almighty God, all-powerful creator of everything. And that word hallowed literally means weighty. Substantial, meaning there's nothing more meaningful, nothing more substantial in the universe than God Himself. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is important. The name of God has to do with who He has revealed Himself to be, not according to our own experiences here on the earth. And this is an important point because for many of us, when we hear the phrase Father in heaven, we almost immediately begin to project this idea we have from our earthly fathers or parents perhaps onto our heavenly Father. And for that reason, prayer can bring a lot of issues. So wait, he's my Father in heaven? I didn't like my Father. My Father didn't treat me well or my Father was gone. We'll never forget um, reading, a, it's a great autobiography. And if you were around in the 80s, you will remember because he had the best mullet and he was also one of the world's best tennis players. Andre Agassi wrote an autobiography and in what you would otherwise think is a very just like fun, kind of a secular story, there's this moment where he meets a pastor at the height of his career in the 80s, tennis star, when he meets this Christian pastor in Las Vegas and the pastor in Las Vegas is like telling him about Jesus, telling him about the gospel. And on one occasion, they're driving. I believe it's like through the streets of Las Vegas. And this pastor is telling Andre Agassi, hey, God is not like your earthly father. And Andre Agassi's like, well, that's good because I did not like my father. And the pastor says again, God is not like your father. And Andre turns to him and says, say it again. God is not like your father. He says, say it again. God is not like your father. Say it again. God is not like your father. He had him repeat that phrase several times because he needed to know that God is not like broken humanity. He is perfect in every way. We're not praying to a God of our own imagination, a God that we cherry pick from different philosophies of life. Hallowed be your name. God, you are the one who has revealed yourself in time and in history and through your word and ultimately through your son. So friends, here's what this means practically. When you pray in the morning or throughout your day or before you go to bed at night, you're saying this. God, I'm not gonna pray according to my preconceived ideas or experiences about you, but according to what you have said and what you have revealed. This is an important point because otherwise I might put things in your mouth 
or pray according to ideas that are not found in your word. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, may your name be regarded as holy in my life. May your name be regarded for what it truly is in my life. May you be known for who you truly are in my life. When you're praying in the morning or throughout your day and you begin with the Lord's prayer, pray that. God, hallowed be your name. Again, this is my bucket of praise. Like, may you be known today. May I know you for who you truly are and may you be honored for who you truly are. That's where we begin intimacy and awe. And friends, this is so important because I think one of the ways in which we go wrong is some of us, we choose one and leave out the other. Some of you have a very keen sense of of intimacy, but very little awe. Some of you have a lot of awe, but there's very little intimacy. So think about this for a moment because I think this is important for your prayer lives. Here's what happens when you have intimacy, but minus the awe, it will lead to arrogance. If you think about it like a math problem. (laughs) Intimacy minus the awe or reverence will actually lead to arrogance. See, if you're near someone, but you don't really honor them or respect them for who they are, you will begin to kind of boss them around. And we'll have this attitude in prayer like, hey, I can go to God anytime. Hey God, how come you didn't give me my stuff? Right, like I've asked you for things and you haven't answered. I prayed for a raise last week. You didn't give it. So I'm here reminding you in prayer, hello, can you do the stuff for me that I asked? See, that's a case of you're near, but you've forgotten the one that you're praying to. That only leads to arrogance. As if prayer just becomes this like, you know, errand list for this cosmic deity. But then there's another error. Some of us, It's this, we have the awe minus the intimacy. Well, that just leads to distance. Some of you are very aware that God is holy, but that's precisely the thing that keeps you from him. Like, no, God God is holy. How dare I even pray? I can't even come near. I can't even really be honest about what's going on in my own heart. Maybe that describes the prayer life for some of you. But the combination we find here in this very first line is this perfect blend of intimacy and awe. And you know where that leads? Assurance. I'm near to the God who is holy and has created everything. See, so much of what needs to be corrected in prayer is this this sense of imbalance. It's both intimacy and awe, not one without the other. And so from the very first line of the Lord's Prayer, these two truths become clear. We are created by God, and yet he gives himself to us. But how could that possibly be true? How could it be that I can experience intimacy with a most holy and righteous God? That leads to the third heading that is so important for every person to understand. Why can we pray? Why is it that I can come to God Almighty and call him Father? Well, the answer, friends, is only through the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us, we are given access to God. 
See, Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. And he is the only one who can call his father, father by right. But we have sinned. We've all sinned against God. We are separated from God. We do not have that right. And when Jesus prayed, all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus prayed, he always addressed his father with the intimate title of Abba, which is an Aramaic term that expresses nearness and affection. Every time Jesus prayed, he used this all the time, Abba, Abba, Abba. When he would pray, he used that title in every single one of his prayers. Except for one. There was only one time that when Jesus prayed, he did not use the intimate title of Abba. And that was the day that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. He said he came to seek and save the lost. He came as a sacrifice for sin. So when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, why was he there? He was there to pay for our sin. He was there to take on the full weight of the penalty that our sin deserves. And on that cross, the sky became dark. Why? Because he lost in that hour the intimacy that he had a right to because in that moment, he was bearing all the wrath of God upon himself in our place. And so in that moment, when he prayed, he did not cry out with the title of intimacy, but instead he quoted the prayer of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in that hour, Jesus was cut off from the intimacy that was rightfully his to take the penalty that was rightfully ours. All so that after rising again from the dead, that we could be brought into a relationship with God and made right with God. Rebels who are clothed in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus, because it is through the gospel that not only are we given access, we become adopted children of God. He took the payment for our failure so that we could have the privilege of calling him Father. So now, even though we were sinners, through Jesus, we can come and we can say, Abba. We can say, Father. We can run to him. In fact, the Holy Spirit in our lives helps us to pray. This is what Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And friends, that is why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name is not some little magical formula we add onto the end that now that you said it, God has to do it. You're like, God, I want the bends. In Jesus' name, amen. God's like, oh, you got me. Guess I gotta give you the benzo now. Praying in Jesus' name says, I do not come 
into your presence by my own right. I come to you through the righteousness of your son and it is because of your son that you look at me as your perfect child. You look at me as your accepted, forgiven son or daughter. That is why we can pray. And that is why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Friends, that's where we get the confidence in prayer. Listen, the confidence that you have in prayer is not based on how you feel about it today. It's based on what Jesus has done about it. So tomorrow when you get up and you're having a hard time, and you, you know, maybe you yell at your kid and there's no coffee, which I'm not even a Christian until I drink coffee. You know, it's just hard times on Monday morning. And I go to pray. What right do I have to pray? On my own, none. Through Jesus, I have every right because of the finished work. And so I can come to him and say, God, I'm so, thank you for, so thankful for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. And so I can come to you right now as a forgiven sinner adopted and accepted by you. So when you pray, come as needy children. Come as needy children. My children don't like get themselves together before they come to me. I don't tell them like, hey, I see tears. What did I tell you about tears? You go take care of the tears and then you come to me. That's not how it works. Come needy. When you pray, come needy. He's your father. When you pray, come boldly. He's your father. He's made a way for you. Through Christ we are accepted. And when you pray, come gladly. Because knowing through Christ, you are loved. You are absolutely loved. The greatest obstacle to intimacy with God, which was your sin and your guilt, has all been removed. It's been paid in full by Jesus. So what does the father think of you? Well, what does the father think of his son? He delights in his son. And as a result, he delights in you. The father doesn't have his arms folded today, friends. His arms are wide open. He says, come, come to me. Come needy. Come boldly come gladly. I want you to experience me. Friends, the invitation is there. Will you receive it? The invitation is there. It's there every morning. It's there every day. It's there every night. And the invitation is there right now. Will you accept? Will you come? Your father loves you. He loves you. And he says, come. Just come to me. The way has been made. I've adopted you. You are my beloved child. Why would we wait? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you've made a way for us to be accepted. Thank you that we're called the beloved because of Christ. God, I pray that nothing would keep people from experiencing intimacy and awe with you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray the words of Paul from Romans 8, that we would know right now that we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. And so we can cry out, Abba, Father. God, I pray for anything that would block us from communing with you right now. Any wrong thinking, that it would be removed. And that we would remember because of Christ, even the weight and guilt of our own sin, the very thing that should and could remove us from your presence forever has been dealt with in Christ. So I pray right now that we would come needy, boldly, and gladly. If there's anyone here, Lord, who does not yet know you, who's maybe never even prayed, pray that they would see so clearly what you've done for them in Jesus. And that right now they would say, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner but I trust in what you've done for me through your son, Jesus Christ, and dying on a cross and rising again from the dead. Save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I pray that those men and women right now would simply pray that from their heart, Lord, and receive what you've provided for their salvation as a gift. May your spirit just bring such a sense of awareness of your presence right now as we respond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.